I saw this great quote the other day and it was, everyone will teach you something. Mm. You will learn something from everyone. And sometimes you'll learn something the opposite to what they think, you know, like someone will be cynical or critical and then you'll learn, oh, you know, I should avoid people like that. You still learn something. Of course. Yeah. But uh, I really like that where even if you see a bad magician or someone who's bad in your field, success leaves clues, but so does failure. Mm. So if you see something going poorly, you go, oh, it's probably because he did this or, oh, he didn't have any music. So all those awkward silences felt like an eternity. So you, you get to piece all the pieces of the puzzle together and see how important are those things because you got to know what's true and what's also how important is each rule in the repertoire yeah. or in the, in the game. I'm Ren McDonald and this is The Hope Initiative, a show dedicated to learning about humans on planet Earth or I speak with everyday people to find moments of success and struggle in their life to help inspire hope in yours. Hello and welcome to The Hope Initiative. My name is Rin MacDonald. Thank you for joining me for what is episode number 95 with Jackson Jarvis. Jackson Aces, as he is known online, on social media is a magician out of sydney we have quite a few mutual friends but this was our first time meeting in person and it was a great conversation one where we unpacked his life starting out as a magician in somewhat of an impulsive manner wanting to be liked and admired by you know his peers at as a young age as a lot of young kids do i'm sure wanting to be you know liked and appreciated but how this turned into a habit of just honing his skills into what is now an incredible line of work. Jackson is a dedicated dude and has seriously put in the work and I appreciate him sharing all that he did in this conversation, one that I have no doubt I will listen back to many times in the future. Thanks again to him and I hope you enjoy. Jackson Jarvis, welcome to The Hope Initiative. Thank you for having me. You're welcome, mate. Thank you for coming today. Recording in person in Sydney. Yeah. And uh, you've done a bit of prep. We're recording as well, a bit of video. Mm-hmm. For the first time in my podcast uh, history, career. There you go. Say, uh, for, for the Hope Initiative anyway, for a couple of others that I've done, mm-hmm. we've recorded some video. But yeah, very excited to, uh, to chat with you today. You've got some cards in front of you. As always. As always, so yeah. pe- people know you or may know you more as uh, Jackson Aces. Yep. Right. So you're a magician, cardistry extraordinaire, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna chat a lot about that today. But you're you're somewhat distracting me with these cards right now. People would be seeing them if, they, if they're watching this video. No, no, feel free. It's the it's the limbering up. Yeah. Of the conversation. So, no, dude, excited to chat with you. We've got a lot of mutual friends. Yes. This is the first time meeting. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're, we're recording it in one of my mates, my, one of my best mates, his office, his workspace today, Sam Knott. So thanks to Sam for for this. Shout out to Sammy. <laughs> That's it. Shout out to Sammy indeed. But mate, yeah, very keen to chat with you. I don't know if you've listened to any episodes, but how I like to do this is just pretty much starting out with the guest's first memory. So first memory in your life and then bringing us forward to present day 
2022. We're recording this in August. Yes. But I like to challenge people to go three to four minutes. So I'm not going to press stop. I'm not even really going to look at the timer. Yep. But if you could, yeah, take us back to that first memory and share with us maybe some pivotal moments in your life and bring us forward to, to present time. Almost. Yeah, I think I might uh, take three to four minutes to remember my first memory was. <laughs> I feel like my my first memory was, it was like Christmas and uh, we ran downstairs and like jumped on my mom and dad who were in bed and like woke them up and it's like, oh, it's Christmas. And uh, it was the first house that I lived in and it's like pretty much the only memory that I have there. And then... Grew up and was born and raised in, well, well then I was raised in uh, Gymere Bay in the Sutherland Shire, mm -hmm. which you probably don't know about. No, but not in yet. Melbourne, but the Shire has its own reputation. Okay. Uh, it's very sports oriented. You know, you, you've got your your big dream is to have your, your house and your two and a half kids. And, two and uh, a half. Yeah, you know, <laughs> the dog. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, go to footy on the weekends or go out and get pissed. And that's like uh, kind of the extent of what's expected of you in um, in that kind of world. Mm -hmm. But also when I was young, my mum and dad, they separated. So my dad was in the city and on the weekends I got to go into the city and kind of see a bit more of the world because the, the whole joke is that anyone who's in the Shire never leaves the Shire right. and you have to have like a passport to get in and to leave. Yeah. Um, is in New South Wales? Like what part of Yeah, South yeah. Wales? The Shire is like this kind of like large area south of Sydney, okay. um, like at 45 minutes north of, of Wollongong. Okay, cool. So I grew up there, went to school. I went to, I went to Gaimi Bay Primary School and uh, did K to six there mm -hmm. and then got into a selective co-ed high school, Caringba High School and went to, yeah, I, I didn't know what I wanted to be. I just was always looking for something to do that was creative and challenged me because school didn't necessarily challenge me. Mm -hmm. I was, I did very good at school. Uh, I found it kind of boring, you know, and pretty easy as well. Yeah. Uh, and I used to get in trouble because I used to talk a lot and uh, I'd finish my work early and, and just want to talk or I'd talk whilst doing the work and still get top marks. But yeah, that was like, I don't know, maybe that was like the first inkling that I would kind of do things differently and do things my way, Yeah, you know, and I've always had a lot of interest in people mm -hmm. and I just love to be the center of attention as well. I love cracking jokes. So mm -hmm. that's why being a magician really fitted in nicely there. And then my first year of high school, uh, there was a guy who did a card trick for us in geography class because we'd finished early. And uh, I was like, oh, I reckon I can do a better trick than that guy by tomorrow. And I'm going to be the king. I'll, I'll be king shit tomorrow when I show up his card trick mm -hmm. that I learned in a night. Because uh, I always, I always like wanted to get good at something really fast as well, not just to get good at it, but uh, in year seven, I uh, I learnt how to sing La Donna Immobile, which is an Italian song. I learnt to sing it in Italian the night before my music exam. Like it's like Pavarotti proper. Wow. I've never had any singing lessons either. Yeah. And I got full marks for that. Wow. Just because I was like kind of like a fat kid and I, you know, <laughs> of course any chubby kid <laughs> is, 
you think, oh, well, he should be able to sing like Pavarotti. He looks like Pavarotti. <laughs> right. That's it. Turns out that I could. <laughs> so, so that was my first kind of encounter with, with well, it wasn't the first encounter with magic. I got a magic kit as a kid. Everybody gets a magic kit as a kid. And I got it when I was like eight years old. We may have got it from the Easter show or something like that, or for my eighth birthday. And I remember that there weren't very many like good tricks in it. There were ones where, I don't know, you, you lift up a little thing and it's the most fake, unnatural looking object in the world. It's like, you look at it, you go, oh, it's a magic toy. Mm. Just looks like that. Wasn't like anything that as a, if you could really do magic, what would you want to do? Oh, give me that $5, turn it into a hundred or playing cards. I'll get all the aces. You know, these things have kind of like a mystique about them and you can see how they apply in the real world, right? It's not like, oh, here's this shiny mirrored box that from ancient China and it's like, dude, we, we know that that's a magic trick, you know, and it doesn't really translate to anything that you would want because the fantasy magic is a lot about escaping reality mm-hmm. and being able to create the illusion that you're doing the impossible. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you could really do magic, well, what would you want to do? You'd want to be able to figure out what is someone thinking or you know, let's say you're like a girl, you just know her phone number, you know, things like this where it really kind of translates. Like if I can walk up to someone and guess their phone number, which is a trick that I that I sometimes do at my gigs, I have to be careful I do it too because it seems a bit forward and a bit creepy, Yeah, but it's incredible trick. You can do it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's difficult. <laughs> I bet. It, yeah. I'm glad it's not easy. No. Yeah. <laughs> But someone sees you do that and they go, shit, I want to do a, ma- I want to be a magician. Mm. Imagine if I could do that. Yeah. So uh, a lot of the stuff from the magic kit didn't really uh, trip my trigger. Sure. The one that I can remember one trick and it was this series of numbers on these little cards. And I could say, think of any number from one to 64. And then you say, is it on this card? Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Okay. So it's on a couple of these cards, not on these cards. Your number is like 37. And you'd be able to get it right every time. And it was a mathematical principle. I won't explain how it works, but yeah, it's a math trick. And I just thought it was like so cool because the method was genius, right? Like you go, even once you're, a lot of magic, when someone explains how it's done, you go, oh, is that all? Right. Right. This one, when you learn the secret or you first told the secret, you go, how the, like, really? You're going, what? Like, even the secret was impressive. Yeah. And, of course, once you know how a trick works, you go and do it, you think that that person knows everything that you do or can see the secret that's, like, staring them in the face. But, of course, they won't figure it out, right? So magic's so cool, and a lot of people say that magic's good for kids because kids love to lie or have make-believe. Yeah. And they, that's like an inherent part of magic. They get to do that and get away with it. And it's not harmful too. you know, it's like creates a great effect. Yeah. So that was like my first exposure to, to magic. But then uh, in high school, when it's like Ryan shows us a card trick and he's like center of attention and everyone's like, oh, that was cool. How'd you do that? It's like, oh man, I want to be that guy. I want to be the life of the party or be able to do stuff that other people can't do. 
Because yeah. again, I love attention. And in high school, I, I mean, in a primary school, I had quite a tough time making friends. So I was like, oh, this would be super useful as well. Make friends, you know, be Mr. Cool Guy just by knowing a couple card tricks. Yeah. So I go home and I get online on like a dial-up internet connection on this old computer. This was 2005. So I go home, I go on the internet. I'm on this old computer with like dial-up internet connection. I'm looking through Google and there's just written explanations for card tricks, like on these random websites, magictricks.org or whatever. And none of them were very good. It was also very hard to understand like how it would look because it's just text, not even pictures. Yeah. And I, I honestly have no idea how the magicians of the past learnt from books because even now I read a book and I'm like, I am lost as to what's going where. Because Not because I don't understand it, but because it's so hard to get every little detail mm. and to explain it clearly Yeah, that a lot of books it's like, you know, fourth finger goes here with the slut and this and that and you go, what is going on? Mm. So anyway, I'm on I'm online for hours looking for magic tricks. I've found nothing and I'm up so late that an ad for a magic show comes on TV. It was David Blaine's Street Magic. Okay. And I remember seeing it and I'd seen the ad before, but it was like it was very unclear what exactly the show was about because David Blaine's whole thing was very mysterious, very much not like oh, I'm a magician and my uncle was a magician. It's like, no, his whole character as a magician is kind of like a street shaman, mm -hmm. like someone who has gone and trained with uh, black magic specialists and then come and shown it to the general public, Sure, you know, in Western America. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't really sure what it was about, but I, I saw some cards in the ad and I was like, oh, it's like a magic show, eh? I I'll, I'll watch it. So I stayed up and watched it. It was like nine till 10 that it was on. I remember sitting on the couch and being like, oh, I'm going to figure this out, 100%. And I watched like the first trick and I'll show you the first trick. Yeah. See if I see if I can get it to work on you. Yeah. So it shows the deck of cards like this. Oh, yeah. Let's do that again. <laughs> the mic the mic being there is probably... Yeah, it's really difficult. Plus these are like slipperier than usual. Okay, so... Shows the deck of cards like this. Yep. He goes, you're going to look for a card in the deck and remember it, okay? Did you get one? Yeah. Okay, black card, right? No. No. Oh, it was a heart? No. No. Okay, this is not your card. This is an indicator card. Just imagine your card here. Yeah. Is that the one? Yeah. <laughs> so that's the first trick that he does, and right. he does that to the viewer, Yeah. right? Like you see a card in the deck, and he goes, bang, and that's the card you picked. You're not even in the same room. Wow. He does that and I'm like, that's that's nuts. Even if no, that's nuts, right? And it's like a pre-recorded show. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm like on the edge of my seat watching these tricks and he's going going into like all the, up to all these celebrities or he's going, you know, into the ghetto and showing all these people and whether it's like big tough guys or like big NFL players, they're all like in love with this guy and just like like putty in his hand mm. and everyone's freaking out. And then at the end of the show, he levitates in front of these girls. He levitates like a meter or two in the air and these girls are just freaking out. And I'm like, 
okay, he's actually a magician and you can actually levitate. Like I was, I was that convinced. Wow. And so I like made it my mission to figure out how does he do it? And I like, I want to be that guy. That's what I, that's like, if I could be that guy, like my problems would be solved. That was what I was thinking. So how old are you at this point? Like back then, this was, uh, I was 12. I was like, in a few months, I was going to turn 13. Yeah. So I got really into it. And, you know, I was trying to find all these uh, explanations for tricks without paying for them. And uh, to get these secrets, you know, you have to you have to pay to get the good secrets. Yeah. And so at the same time, I'm getting into magic and I also discover the world of what used to be called XCM, which mm-hmm. stood for extreme with an X, <laughs> card manipulation. Yeah. Now it's called card flourishes or more commonly it's called cardistry, yep. like card artistry. Yep. So I discovered this whole world of XCM as well. And uh, same kind of thing. There was a guy, DeVoe. He's not, he was like this German guy, DeVoe vom Skattenreich. And he never showed his face. He would always wear like a black cloak and you would only see his hands in the videos and have like this really cool techno music that he produced himself. And he's doing this crazy stuff with cards that's not magical at all but it's like oh my god i want to learn how to do that too Mm. so for my 13th birthday i get these really nice decks of cards as a gift and a magic dvd and a cardistry dvd and that was my beginning toward magic that was like the proper start and yeah from there it was just like I would always have a deck of cards in my hand, mm-hmm. like nonstop. When I was eight, my mom got really sick and uh, she was in and out of hospital a lot. And my mom loves to play cards. Yeah. She actually used to count cards at the casino and she'd always go with like 50 or 100 bucks. She'd say, I'm not going to lose any more than that. I'm prepared to lose that. But some nights she'd come home with thousands of dollars. Wow. Yeah. And, but she'd be there all night and they and they do roulette too. Yeah. And they just, like it was like work. Yeah, for them, you know, but fun too. Mm. So as a kid, seeing my mum come home with all this money when money didn't come easily to us was also like, what's this whole world of, you know, being able to control the odds? Mm. And they say, you know, it's not gambling if you never lose, right? So there was all this like kind of mystique and mystery around odds, gambling, casinos, all that. And, you know, I really do feel like magic was my calling in that sense because they were just just like the fact that that guy showed me a card trick and then that night there's a magic show on TV it just it was too perfect yeah you know it's the universe sending you something You're yeah like, here you go here's your olive branch here's your chance exactly you take it yeah exactly right so uh, how do we get onto that it was it was really the summary of your life moving forward you jumped straight in which I appreciate yeah no but how do we get onto that part about the mum and the cards. Were you telling me how that's how you oh, got into oh, cardistry? Yeah, and right. I, I always had a deck of cards in my hand. So, yeah. you know, even in I, I got in trouble in class a lot because I'd be playing with cards under the table. <laughs> Probably looked like something else, <laughs> but I was playing with my deck of cards yeah, under very, the table. Very good. And yeah, it was just it was like an all-consuming obsession. Yeah. And I part of like how I've gotten good is because I I never felt like if I perfected a trick that I was good enough, you know, or that the trick was good enough and that there was always room for improvement. Mm. And I would watch so much magic that I'd see that, oh, that guy does that trick and, wow, he gets amazing reactions. I don't know that one yet. 
oh, I have to learn that too. You know, so it's like they say that you shouldn't compare yourself and comparison is the thief of joy. But I also think that comparison is super useful if you really want to chase being the best that you can be. And there's also a quote, which I've told a few people this and they go, they kind of get down on it. They like, they think it's a, they don't see the actual point of the quote, which is in show business, uh, confidence and self-esteem is overrated because mm. if you're too confident or you're, you've got, you're too happy with where you're at, then, you know, the next guy will come along and not going to make progress in the next guy will catch. Yeah. 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 Like if I'm on stage, you can't, you can't have enough confidence, like it, it 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 will not hurt you to be too confident, but when it comes to trying to develop as a performer or creatively, yeah, like if you're not trying to achieve more and more, you're not really gonna. You're just gonna get complacent, and it's very easy to become complacent as an artist or as a performer because mm. it's hard. <laughs> it's hard work to get good at something. Yeah, and it's hard work to hone a trick. Yeah, unless of course. You know, your your standard of quality is not as high. It's like I have a certain repertoire and I could have a bigger repertoire, but I've done the tricks that I do thousands of times, yeah. like literally thousands and thousands of times. And I could do them in my sleep and I could walk up to anyone and know exactly what's going to happen and know exactly all the possible ways it could go wrong or that they could try to bust me on the trick or what they could say. Like I've done it over and over and over and there's no, there's no like reaction time is instant yeah. to handling. Oh, what if he's like, Oh, it's in your hand or, Oh, you put it in your pocket or this or that. It's like, no, no, I, I know exactly how to handle that without having to think at all. So that level of competence then, you're saying you've done these tricks thousands and thousands of times. You started when you were 13. Yeah. Well, yeah. 12 and a... Give or, give or take. Yeah. 12, basically 13. Yeah. Mm. And how old are you now? 29. 29. Yeah. So same as me. Yeah. I'm 30 in October. I'm 30 in November. There you go. So what, one, what month in What date in October? Seven. Oh, my mum's the 26th. Oh, nice. I'm the 9th of November. 9th of November. So yeah. there, there you go. About a month. You've mm. been doing this a lot longer than I've been doing podcasting, and I've only <laughs> recorded about 150 odd episodes, which is still that's a lot, still decent. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it is a lot. Average podcast maybe has seven episodes. This one's yeah, mm. this one will probably be episode 90 odd. Yeah, but you doing thousands and thousands of tricks, it's that time on the tools, you yeah. are getting to a level of competency where, as you're saying, you're super confident. All of the things that people say, maybe to put you off or catch you out, you've heard them before, so you know how to handle them. Yeah. How does that make you feel then walking, like you say, you can walk up to someone and know how it how it goes? Yeah. Oh, it's like you need to have those hours and hours and hours of doing it. And um, like I can walk into any room. Uh, for example, I just come from a gig today, mm. which was a baby shower. Doesn't sound all that, you know, overwhelming, but- Everyone there was like loaded, you know, upper class people who you would think, oh, they've seen it all and oh, they're going to be hard to impress or this or that. Actually, it's it's kind of the opposite sometimes because, uh, you know, it's like they say, you should always try to hit on the, the hottest girl at the party because no one hits on her because they count themselves out before they even try. Totally. Right? So it's the same kind of thing yeah. sometimes. But yeah, just came from that party and- like the reactions that I were getting were 
exactly like the reactions that I would see David Blaine on that first Street Magic special that I watched. People literally screaming or being like, oh, I'm scared of you. Oh, that is, you know, amazing, incredible reactions. And it's like, it's almost, I have to pinch myself mm. to be able to create that because it's it's extremely easy to do that now. That sounds very cocky to say that, but it's it's easy just because I've done it so many times. Yeah. And I've like really tried to nail in on anything that's not needed, scrap it, any part of the routine that's a little bit boring, just get rid of it, almost taking a minimal approach in some senses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like sometimes magicians will take a minute or two to get to the climax of a trick. Mm. And it's like, I'm trying to blow them away in the first 10, 15 seconds. And I feel like just that one little thing there, it's like how quickly can you win them over with the first OMG moment and then that makes everything hell of a lot easier. From there on, right. Yeah, it's like what do you want to have Have the awkwardness of, oh, is this guy going to be any good? How long? You want that to be as little as possible. Totally. Yeah, so, you know, first trick I do, I'll be as quick as possible or I'll walk up and do what's called a card spring, which, you know, exactly like what I saw in The Simpsons looks like it's fake and you couldn't do it in real life. That was the first thing I actually wanted to learn Yeah. before I got the DVD. I was trying to do that trick. And, you know, from the get-go, people go, oh, my God, what are they Are they tied together? How would you do that? Mm. And it's like, oh, good. <laughs> yeah, it's like people are impressed from the off and then yeah. you can just ease in or not even ease in. You just can then maybe take a little bit longer with a longer trick potentially. Yeah. 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 You, you buy yourself that time, Yeah, but you have to give them the opportunity to realize that you're good. Yeah. You know, you got to give them a chance to give you a chance mm. is the quote. So you're 29 now, 16 yep. years, that's percentage wise, fucking you're, you're like 60 odd percent of your life has been dedicated to this craft. And realistically prior to the age of 13, like a lot of what you do is dictated by external factors you know we're going to school you know kindergarten these sorts of things like you're just growing up and becoming a young a young person Mm. but you mentioned before you had that deck of cards and you saw was it david blaine yeah yeah so you see him on tv it seems like the pivotal moment where you make that decision but i Mm. think i know for me and potentially a lot of people listening they may have had these things in their lives where they like you know, want to do this thing. For me, it was soccer. I loved soccer from a young age, wanted to play, but in hindsight, never spent the hours with the ball at my feet Mm. doing what I needed to do to get to a level of competency like where Mm. you're at. I have a number of, I guess, justifications or reasons as to why that didn't happen. Yeah. But this isn't about me. This is about you. And I would love to know, moving forward from that young age, what were the, some of the challenges that you that you faced? Like, I'm sure there were plenty of tricks that you tried to do where you fucked up mm. or maybe there were days where you were like, I don't know, in tears, this is shit. Mm. Could you maybe go yeah. back to those, that even that first year? Like, did you, for example, did you nail that trick the next day from that, from that kid? <laughs> well, like there's, well, like when you ask that question, there's, there's a couple of moments that stand out mm. of times when tricks have gone wrong or I've packed it in and thought of quitting. And I've only thought of quitting like once or twice. And one time was when uh, there was this snooty couple 
who I did a trick, which was a routine by James Galea, another Australian magician. Mm -hmm. And I'm like 16, 17, performing at this restaurant, and I've put in heaps of time to be able to do this trick. And it's very hard to make the trick your own because the trick is what's called a story deck where the cards are coming out and there's a story that goes along with it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for him, the Jack comes out and he says, oh, my name's James with a J and I'm I'm Jackson, right? This is pretty much as much as I can change. Mm -hmm. Um, And later I, you know, I recently did a gender reveal for my sister where I created from scratch a story deck routine where the story was about her and her husband's life leading up to this point and they met on the 25th of the 10th and the cards are coming out to match the numbers and, and mm. what's happening. I saw story. that video. It was amazing. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah, that was a very special one for me. Yeah. So I'm performing basically his trick and, yeah, they they personally knew James Galea. Okay. And they like were, they gave it to me, the fact that I was doing his trick. Mm. And I'm just like, <laughs> I, I understand where they're coming from. But as like a 17 year old kid who I don't even make any money doing this at this point, I just love magic and mm. I love the trick and I want to do the trick. They, for them to like, go in on me and they really like I was like going to do another trick and they really kept at it on me and uh like next day I told my dad and I burst into tears because I'd never felt like so attacked and like you know like they've got their spears out trying to find me coming for you. Yeah. And obviously um people weren't as nice to my people back in different times in history, us magicians or witches yeah, right. in the Salem times. No, but it felt, it felt, it felt like that, you know, and uh, especially after I've put so much work in to learn the routine, it was like, they couldn't give two shits about that. It was like, you've, you're doing his routine. That's his routine. How dare you? How dare you? I was like, I'm just, you know, I'm just doing a trick. I'm, you know, I know it's, and I'm like, I know it's not my routine. It's James Galea's. Yeah. He's amazing. Yeah. We well, shouldn't be doing his routine. It's like, oh fuck man. Especially like I'm quite a people pleaser, you know? So that really like affected me. And yeah, I like, I thought of quitting after that point. And I, I don't think I, maybe a couple times after that years later, I, I did that routine here or there, but it was like, I'm not doing that trick anymore. Yeah, you know. So even though that would never happen again, Mm. it was like, yeah, it just didn't seem worth it. And uh, like I remember tricks going wrong in year seven and year eight, or guys trying to bust my balls in year nine and ten after I'd, you know, built up a bit of a reputation at school as being good at card tricks by that point. Yeah, and I can like remember it as clear as day. And it was yeah, it's like I mean it's it's necessary too. You need to stuff it up to know how it can go wrong so that it doesn't go wrong again. Sure. I always say that they're not setbacks, they're setups for success. Because if you don't know the importance of this part of the trick or why is this done this way and you haven't seen it gone wrong or, you know, been totally embarrassed by not doing it right, then you, it's bound to happen. You know, if if you're going to do a trick a hundred times, it's going to go wrong five or 10 different ways. And then you figure out how to correct it and it won't go wrong that way ever again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, there was those moments. And also there were a lot of times when 
you know, like you fumble the cards or someone catches you out or this or that. And you have to really think on your feet about how you're going to either prove them wrong because if they, let's say they try to grab you and say, oh, the card's in your hand, you're hiding it or something like that. It's like, what do you do? You know, if the card is in my hand, Mm. uh, then the magic, the illusion is gone. So what do you do? So people actually do that though. Like they grab your wrists or- Yeah. I mean, not so much now, now that I'm bigger, but (laughs) when I was like a teenager or um, if you do a bar or a a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah uh, with like spoiled Jewish kids, it's notorious like magicians- all over the world have had horrible times at bar mitzvahs because these kids will just go, they'll reach into your pockets and try to grab tricks out. They'll go through your briefcase of tricks while you're not looking. Just nightmares sometimes. Wow. Not all the times. (laughs) I've done plenty of bar mitzvahs, (laughs) but yeah, they can be, they can be tough. Yeah. So yeah, you'll get guys that'll really try to bust you and you have nowhere to hide and you got to think fast. And a lot of times you can't think that fast. Mm. And you got to go away and go, fuck, man, that was so fucked what happened. How do I make sure that that doesn't happen in the future? Mm. You know, and you go away, it's, it'd be like if you had a shit day as a car salesman and everyone's saying, oh, no, I don't want to buy or this or that. And you go, fucking hell, what do I even say? What do I, what do I say in that scenario? And you go away and you go, I just had the worst day. All right. If they, if they say this, well, maybe I could do this. And if I say this, I can do this. And then it's so cool because you can see the the problem, which is no longer a problem anymore once you have a solution for it. It's more like an opportunity to shine. So you can see this problem before it even presents itself and you end up at that pivotal moment where you have to like sink or swim. Mm. So you actually have a jump on it by that point. Obviously the first time when it occurs, you're, you're in shit and it's the worst yeah. and it's super embarrassing. But then the next time it's like you can see it coming and boom, you're ready straight away. And there's been times when like I'm very good at winning over a skeptic because I'll just hit him with boom, 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 fast tricks. And they go, oh, no, it's here. And then I'll go, no, 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 it's actually not here because blah, and it's actually in my pocket. So I'm doing several other tricks layered on top of each other so that it disproves what he says. And he might actually know how I do that first trick. Right. But what I do in response to that is enough to disprove it by doing other tricks that he can't keep track of because there's just too much. Of course. Something's going on. Yeah. And the only way to have done that is to figure out, oh, if he says this, do this, and then I can do this as well. And you've got this hectic game plan Mm. that is, it's almost like you want that person to call you out now. Right. You want that opportunity because when it's like when tensions are high, it's like the best payoff. Mm. And those dudes who are are so skeptical, they're skeptical because magic fucking gets to them when they can't figure it out yeah. and they want to figure it out and they want to prove to everyone, oh, I know how he does it. Oh, fuck, it's in his hand, right? I keep saying it's in his hand. There's million other different ways to do tricks. (laughs) It's like just an example. Like if you have a card palmed, right? And someone's like, oh, it's in your hand. (laughs) There's not much you can do. You know what I mean? That one's hard to get out of. (laughs) But those guys who are like so intent on busting you, everyone knows and they're like, oh, Joe's going to figure this out. Oh, oh, he's giving the magician a hard time. And then when you win over Joe, you know, it's a fun game. It's like, Mm. not like I'm trying to 
dominate over people or, or I hate the guy, but it's like when you beat him at his own game, everyone's like, oh, oh, what do you think now, Joe? Suck shit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and like it's, and, and Joe's, the, Joe will either be there going like shaking his head or being like, oh, what the fuck? Oh, how did you do that? You know, and he's just like, he'll walk off because he's so blown away. And can you pick these guys? Yes. In the, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah guys, 100%. Because I'm sure. You can, you can, you can, I can, I'll see him coming a mile away. Like there's, there's certain things or certain ways that per, a person will kind of even just kind of like change hold, their body language hold, when you hold. approach or it's like they, they, they'll bear their chest, right? <laughs> and they'll, and they'll say a smart ass comment, you know? Uh, although crack a joke, like uh, literally I was walking from the restroom back to my gig today and this guy goes, oh, hey, mate, can, are you a magician? Can you do us a favor? And I'm like, oh, here we go. What's he going to say? Can make my wife it? disappear. And he goes, can you make this guy disappear? Oh. And everyone's like, oh, funny. And I'm like, I've heard that joke like 800 times. And I know exactly what to say. I was like, oh, mate, I don't do miracles. And they're like, oh, and I just walk off. But that guy, if I were to go up to that group and perform, that guy would be the guy busting my balls. Right. So I know that because, well, first of all, I've done the tough gigs. You know, I actually started doing restaurants as a magician and I'm like 15, 16. I would go down to this restaurant that my mum's good friend owned. He owned two restaurants across the street from each other. So he said, and this was like this, I owe him the world for this. He said, come down any night of the week, you know, come down on a weekend, obviously, but he was such a good businessman and such a good chef that he would have the place busy on a, on a Wednesday or a Tuesday. Yeah. So come down, I'll have a meal for you. Come down, work on your tricks perform for people. And I'm like, oh, that's amazing. Like it's such a good opportunity. So every, every day in the week leading up to this is like leading up to what am I going to do next week at the restaurant? Yeah. I've got this new trick I'm working on. Oh, it's got to be ready by Friday, which is good because if I don't have a deadline, it's, you can get stuck in trying to be so perfect and never actually end up getting a result or something that you know, is actually useful because mm. it's like if something's, if the thing, if the cake is being baked nonstop and you never get the cake, it's useless. Like you never have a cake. Yeah. You know what I mean? And if you're like under the pump and you have to, oh, showtime is Friday. It's got to be ready by Friday. Friday rolls around. It's not ready. Fuck. Oh, I've got to wait a whole week before I can debut that trick next Friday. Mm. Oh, and it really keeps you developing material at a, at a really good pace. Yeah. And so I'd go down there, mum would drop me down and, you know, I'd have like some jeans on and like a t-shirt and like a little fedora hat and a little vest, 16 year old. And uh, I'd start at the seafood restaurant and that was not the best uh, vibe for magic because it was more like a low key, uh, like bring your date along. A lot of the tables were couples. And usually leave the couples alone because uh, one of them is bound to just want to have a quiet night yeah. uh, with their date or the dude gets jealous because you're, get, you're the center of attention all of a sudden. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the times, unless they call you over, you just let the couples be. Yeah. But this was almost exclusively couples at this restaurant. Sometimes you get a table of four or a table of six, and that was great because the energy was there. Mm. But it was more like a quiet restaurant. So I'd go, I'd start there every week. It was like jumping into a cold pool. It's like, oh God, the first few tables are going to be a nightmare. And, you know, you do them and uh, I'm just like 
hanging, hanging for the hour to be up so I can go over to the bar and grill restaurant across the street, which is way bigger. You know, there's people having more drinks and there's bigger tables and it's louder and it's just like so much more happening, mm. so much more suited to magic. Yeah. So then I go over there and I'd perform all night. I'd perform until the place was empty. So I'm doing three hours of magic each night. I'd have my dinner near the end of the night, but I was very careful about the, what I would order and how quickly I would finish my food because I wanted to perform for as many people as possible. I didn't want to sit down and have my food and then like I look up and, oh, that table's leaving. They're paying the bill too late, you know, and then it's like, oh, the night's over. I've missed three opportunities. Yeah. So at the end of that night on, you know, Friday, and I try to do the Saturday night too, I've done my act 15 times, mm. maybe 20 times. And I've had to deal with all kinds of shit happening, like the food coming halfway through the trick. Right. What do I do? Or uh, I would try different ways to open, like to introduce myself at the table. Yeah. One night I had this genius idea to go up and not even announce myself or anything, just start pulling cards from this woman's ear. And she fucking screamed so loud the whole restaurant heard her. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm, so, I'm the magician. I, it's card, look, cards, nothing in the hand. And it was just like, oh, fuck, like, <laughs> pack it in, mate, go home. <laughs> Don't try that one again. No, never. At least never, I went to do that lady. again. <laughs> never again. But like, if you're not trying stuff like that, like, you know, a lot of guys will get into something and they they're not willing to do a lot of work. They're not willing to like like for example, you said you love your soccer, but mm. you weren't doing five hours a day. Or if someone you know, if you want to be a great swimmer, you got to be in the pool like four or six hours a day or something. And really early too for a swimmer. Yeah, oh, yeah, horrible. So if you're not if you're not willing to do that or or do what you're going to do a lot, then you're not really going to do that well. Not going to make it. Mm. No. And so, uh, as a magician at a restaurant or wherever, like I have to be willing to first of all work on my tricks a lot, and then work on them with an audience. But then I also have to be willing to, like let things go wrong or let things crop up that are naturally going to crop up. Mm. You know, it's kind of hard to think of an example because a lot of the tricks that I do are very like honed in and I, I, I they're the tricks that I do. Yeah. I have other ones and I have a bunch of other options, but my routine is pretty similar. Most performances that I do, let's say when I go up to a table for a party or I go up to a group at a party. Yeah. It's I pretty much know almost exactly what I'm going to do yeah. because I've never met those people before and they've never seen my act. So I'm going to do my best three or four tricks yeah. as quickly as I can and then move on to the next group. Yeah. And that quick the being quick is important because then I can get around to more people but also it's like you know you you're giving them oh my god it's like having a buffet and then it's over and they can't stop talking about it. Yeah. Right. You know it's like People are impatient and I've done my best to keep up with that sure. with how quick my routine is, you know, like even today at the baby shower, this lady is texting, you know, because the phone is bing, 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 bing. And even if it's great magic show, it's like, bing, oh, oh fucking the kids are, well, you know, the babysitters said the house is on fire or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I had to, I had to try those things of, oh, what if I try and introduce myself like this or, 
oh, what if I take this trick that's usually done on stage and why don't I, why don't I do that in close-up? Mm. You know, why don't I do that for a group of people? Like, no, it's a stage. Oh, why don't I just try it? And you try it and it turns out to be better than you think because, like, let's say I do a stage trick and all these other tables can clearly say, if I say pick a card and I change it, the table next to you is not really going to even see the trick. Right. But let's say I take a stage trick. I won't say which one because it's like I'm so happy that I tried it and it's like a staple for me now to do it close up and don't want anyone else doing it. <laughs> so close up you mean is like a one-on-one or in a close small like, group of people? Like a small group, like yeah. 10 or less people, yeah. you know, small group of people mingling at a party or a table at a restaurant, yeah. that kind of thing. Or as a stage trick is like you're in front of a large group of people. Yeah, like you're in front of hundreds of people. Yeah. So the, the props are bigger or in mind reading tricks, it's like there's certain things you can do, which you don't necessarily have. There's not even using props or you don't have to see it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, let's say I get you to think of something and I write it on a big notepad. It's like, bam, you thought of Paris. Well, uh, if you were doing that close up, usually a magician would have a small notepad this big and go, Paris. Right. Well, you could, you can't really do that trick because it's like, where am I going to keep the fucking A3 size notepad? Oh, right. You sure. know, just logistically. Yeah. Yeah. It's not very good unless you rock up to the table with a little briefcase on a stand, which I've thought of doing, never done it because kind of annoying but anyway there's this one stage trick that i tried one night doing a close-up because the props kind of annoying to have on you but i could manage it Mm. and didn't even use my pockets i had this little stingo that it went on and i do it and i go oh my god i walk up to the next table that how did you do that oh we're watching you walk and it's like Oh, wow, I don't even have to introduce myself at the next table because the other five tables around this one table saw the trick. Right. And they've already seen magic before I've even said hello. Right. So it's not like, oh, you're you're saying, hey, guys, you're trying to, how quick can I do my first trick? My first trick is done. Right. They've seen it. So being willing to experiment with stuff like that, if I didn't go, oh, you know, I'll just just give it a go, why not? Mm. Then I would have missed out on, on that which is, I don't think other magicians would have done that. Right. I'm not the most creative magician out there. I try to improve routines that are already existing and and put them together in a creative way. But that one I'm super proud of because it was like, I would have never thought to do that. And then I did it and it's like, oh, better than I could have expected. Yeah. So was that at this restaurant? Is that the first time you tried it at this bar and grill? No, no, that was recently. That was that was at a... So I'll do charity events, right? Yeah. And the, the good thing about the restaurant was I wasn't getting paid. So it was like I had a place to be bad. Right. I had a place on to try ideas. Stuff. Yeah. 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 Cool. And what usually what you do is you get a good trick and a good trick. You put the new one in the middle or the new idea in the middle. Yeah. And then you've sandwiched it between two good tricks, right? Well, I'm doing this charity event and obviously like charity events are, you know, pretty upper class occasion sometimes you've got a lot of people there spending a lot of money and donating a lot of money well still like sometimes you i'll work on stuff there and i'll throw it in between two things so i i'm just like oh i'm just gonna try this and i try it and that was the result that it had and i'm like oh i was just doing that because i wanted to do something different i was kind of bored of doing the same thing i thought that'd be interesting to do yeah and then it turns out to be like 
one of the best decisions that I've made, one of the better ideas that I've had yeah. regarding like the tricks that I do. Sure. And yeah, like I've all, I've, there's other tricks that I've thought, oh, maybe I could do that close up, but the props are kind of annoying to carry around and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But it, that was like, that was like a really cool moment because it was like, it was like stumbling upon something almost by accident that I don't think anybody else had stumbled upon before. Right. You know, it was like discovering fire. <laughs> <laughs> so that was really cool. I would love to know, like you're going there as a teenager, 15, 16, maybe 17 is when you're sort of going into this place. Yeah. Were there times where you didn't want to go? I mean, you mentioned trying to practice a new trick almost, and maybe getting to the Friday. <clears throat> almost every night I didn't want to go. Right. Because it was, yeah, it was like hard. It was like scary to uh, go up to each table every Like, let's say I've had a good week. Well, that was the thing too. Like, I, I was very inconsistent because there were so many different scenarios and different personality types that you run into. And things like, well, oh, if you go up to a couple and the guy has insecurity and even though you're just a 16-year-old kid, that's going to be an awkward five minutes with that table. And then you can't stop thinking about that for the whole night. You go, oh, that was awkward. What do I do next time? And for that scenario, the solution is just don't go over to the couple. Go over to the table of six people or go to the table of 10. Right. Right. So there was a lot of inconsistency there and there was just a lot that I didn't know yet. I didn't know that, well, if you're at a restaurant, you've got to make sure your tricks are like super quick and you can wrap it up almost at any time because at any time their food can come. Yeah. Or well, they could be in the middle of their food, I'm guessing. And they, well, would you not approach no, the I'd, foods there? Well, sometimes I would, but I learned pretty soon that it's better if they're not eating. Sure. But also like you learn the thing of you get there and uh, you go, oh man, where did everyone go? Because I wasn't going up to the tables that, were near the end of their meal yet. Mm -hmm. So you just go, oh, they look friendly, they look friendly. And then your night is over before it's begun because you've gone over to four tables and it was a bit of a quiet night at the restaurant. And you go, oh, shit, like, I've got to go home early now. Like, I, like if I had done it the other way around, I would have been able to perform for eight or ten tables. Right. If I, you know, went over to the not-so-friendly-looking table first who are leaving soon. And then it was those kind of things where I'd be really hard on myself about something like that. Yeah. I didn't like to let myself off the hook easily about that kind of thing because sure, I could make an excuse and say, oh, well, they look like assholes maybe or, oh, they look like, maybe they don't even like magic. Maybe they maybe they, they don't even like the look of me or something like that. And I could make those excuses or I could go, nah, I, I, I stuffed up, you know, I come here. I, I I get paid with a, a, a really nice meal at the end of the night, you know, which it's, it's not much, but I appreciated it, you know? Sure. My first gig, I I got 50 bucks for like two hours of magic and I was like ready to retire. That's <laughs> like, this is amazing. <laughs> I made it. Yeah. So, you know, to any night of the week, go down and get a really fucking nice, you know, meal and be able to work on my craft was, was pretty special. Mm. And part of that, I guess, you know, I, I came from, we didn't have a lot apart from one time dad got to house sit for Andrew Banks in Point Piper for like nine months. So we're staying in Wolseley Road in this hectic mansion for for almost a year. But other than that, you know, we, we were pretty, pretty humble beginnings family. 
And so I appreciated any opportunity that I got or any any money that I got, I'd really appreciate it and, and try to make the most out of it. So, so yeah, if, if, if I, you know, didn't go up to as many tables as I could, because my strategy was off, I hated that. I, I was like, oh, I might never see them again. And they could have been, they could have booked me for the party maybe. And I also had a game of how many business cards I would give out. I'd keep track of it and I'd try to outdo it the next night, which is hard when, you know, the restaurant has varying amounts of people every night, but sure. it always gave me a game. I try to keep everyone a business card. Yeah. And cause I knew that it took me over a hundred business cards being given out to get one phone call. Wow. Now it's a lot, it's a lot less. Sure. Like it, it shocks me the difference that it is now because I would hear the same things. I would hear, wow, you're amazing. Oh my God, I want to use you for blah. And you'd never get a call back. Sure. Right. And now I hear that and I, you know, maybe, quarter of the time that person will email me the next day or will call and ask about it, which is great when I, that happens over and over, Yeah, you know, it's like the work really does snowball. Mm. So I had a game of that, which was good because it kind of like, it, even if I didn't want to go up to a table because they didn't seem friendly, it was like, Oh well, fuck, there's six of them. I can give out six cards and then my, st- my stats are up. Uh, you know, and I don't care if they hate me. Like, I got to get, it. I got to, got to beat my score from last night right. or from last week. So this was a driving thing because you, you obviously saw beyond performing magic at a restaurant. That was almost like a finite game, and the booking of the parties, booking of events, yeah, was something. Even at that young age, did did someone tell you that, or was that an idea that you you had yourself? Like, did you have a mentor at the time? No, I I didn't have a mentor. I don't know where I got that idea from. I think I watched some videos on on how to do restaurant magic and how to be successful at it and and also like some free YouTube videos or some magic it was like this magic business podcast where it was like the the business of show business and they said oh you got to give out your your business card and oh your business card should look like this and and all that and you go oh yeah it's a good idea I should give out business cards and and you know they could book me for a birthday party yeah yeah that's, that's yeah I'll try and get some birthday parties that'd be good and uh, yeah I mean at this point I'd done like no parties I'd done like a handful I did yeah. a party you know for my sister for her birthday I'd done one for my mum's friend and uh, so you know it's like you'd have no idea what to expect yeah. And yeah, so that was like a, a game that I had because I was like, well, the more that I give out, the more chances that I'm going to get some work out of it. Sure. And yeah, and obviously also the more tables that I would approach, the more chances and the more times I get to practice my tricks and so on and so on. Yeah. Plus, I also felt like if I didn't do more than two hours of magic in a night for Mike in exchange for that nice meal, yeah. that I was ripping him off too. So, because I'd get the ribs with the, I'd get, I'd get, oh, it was amazing. They yeah. would really look after me. And I, you know, it does cost him what, five, 10 bucks or something. And it was a great deal for him too. Yeah. But you want to be in exchange, which is good. Yeah. I really wanted to, yeah, I really wanted for him to get like, get a lot out of having me there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm at the restaurant from like age 15 or 16 till like, I don't know, 19 or something. And I get this birthday party with this, it was like a 70th or a 60th or something like that. Yeah. And I meet this guy there. His name is Len Pascoe. 
He's an old cricket star. Okay. He sits me down. He goes, you're great. You need to, you need to do comedy magic. You need to get up on stage and you need to do comedy magic. I'm like, I'm a magician. I'm not a comedian. I don't know anything about that. I'd crack a couple of one-liners throughout my performance, but I'm not a comedian. What are you talking about? I'm not Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 no. It's your, your stuff is visual. You're a, you're what they call a sight act, like S-I-G-H-T, yeah. something that you can see and watch, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not exactly the right term because for magic, you have to also hear it. A sight act is like a fire twirler okay. or a juggler where yeah. you, don't, you, don't, you don't have, there could be music blaring uh, and people talking and you could still look over and appreciate it. Sure. That's more what a sight act is. But he's like, you're a sight act. Yeah. And now uh, you should do clean comedy. That's your thing. You'll be, you'll be a clean comedy magician and you're a young, fresh face, you know? Everyone, the Vince Sorrentis and the Darren Cars and the Marty Coffees, these are like household names, at least in the corporate world, for doing corporate events. And they're amazing at what they do. He's like, everyone's seeing them all over and over because they've done every event. You know, they need someone new and there's no new fresh faces in comedy that are doing clean comedy because no one wants to have their audience be offended. I'm like, okay, well, you're, you're making a lot of sense here. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And he goes, you know what? Here, look, come around to my place. And he lived like down the road from me, actually. He goes, come around to my place. We'll have a coffee on Tuesday afternoon. And I'll tell you all you need to know. I'll tell you how the business works, everything. Okay. So I'm like, okay. So I rock up and I'd done a little bit of research on comedy magic at this point. You know, I just Googled around and seen some on YouTube and it was like, God, this is kind of like a whole new world. I'd only ever seen one comedy magician before that. And that was a magician called Jack Black, good friend now. And uh, he actually did two parties at the restaurant for, uh, he did like, a stand-up performance in front of the whole staff of all the restaurants that Mike owned. Wow. And it was like a one-hour show. It was incredible. And it was so good to see. I'd never seen a magician do funny magic before. And he had people like side-splitting. So funny. In, yeah. He's one of the best in Australia easily. Nice. And uh, so I, so that's, that's all I've seen as far as comedy magic. And I go around to Len's place on a Tuesday afternoon and he goes, all right, He's told me all the things, you know, oh, yeah, you know, I do golf luncheons and, uh, oh, yeah, we do some bowls luncheons sometimes and some fishing shows with blah, blah. And, uh, yeah, you know, oh, how the cruise ships work is they like you to have this much material and, oh, you want to have everything be clean, you know, you don't want nothing political, blah, blah, blah. So he's telling me all these, you know, all these things which are true and all this stuff. And anyway, I'm like, oh, cool, yeah. I'll I'll go back and do my research. He's like, no, 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 you're booked for Friday. I'm like, what? He goes, I got you a gig this Friday. It's Tuesday afternoon. It's like 4.30 by this point. I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're doing a, we're doing a bowls luncheon out at Kemp's Creek on Friday and just be there midday. You're doing a 15-minute act. I'm like, Len, I already told you. I don't have a stage act. <laughs> He goes, you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. You'll be fine. I'm like, Len, I, I've, I've been on Hey Hey at Saturday once and done a like 90-second act. How am I supposed to do 15 minutes? Just a minute bit. That's 10 times the amount of time I've ever been on a stage before. It's like, you'll figure it out. So I'm like, fuck. I go to the magic shop and I buy, I, I'm like, oh, what can I buy? And I 
get sold this trick. It was kind of shit, but it was, it, you know, I, I didn't think it was that good, but it was a stage trick. And like, what else am I going to do? Yeah. And I fucking learnt, went home and learnt another one that I saw another magician do, and it wasn't that good. And this other one, and I don't know how I got through that fifteen minutes. It was more like a twelve-minute act, and I uh, felt like I could. I felt like it wasn't even in my body <laughs> when I was doing it because I was so nervous yeah. and like. Yeah, and like there were, you know, celebrities there. Celebrities. It was like Dale Brumman from the Footy Show. He was there, and some famous cricketers were there too. And I'm like, I feel like an absolute idiot because I didn't have that place to be bad yet, like I had at the restaurant. Yeah, you know. And also, it's like bigger stakes too when you're on stage. If I stuff up or I make a fool of myself in front of five people at the restaurant when there's a hundred people there. Fuck, who cares? Sure. It's nothing. If I embarrass myself in front of 100 people at a lunch and it's like, shit, fuck, 100 people think I'm an idiot. And that feels like it's like as many people in my year at school. Like it's 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 a lot to confront. Yeah. So I somehow get through that and he goes, oh, that was good. You did good. I'll have another coffee with you in the week and uh, we'll get you some more of these. I'm like, I'm like thinking, Oh, that's amazing. But I'm thinking, shit, I've got to go through that again and again. <laughs> so Len was Len was amazing as well. He took me under his wing. He was he started getting me a gig, one or two gigs every weekend. And I'm making good money from this now too, because I don't know, I'd make like 350, worked up to like 500. Sometimes I think I think might have worked up to like 600. Sometimes seven fifty on a really good one for like a thirty minute show wow. or like a twenty minute show. And you're like twenty years old at this point, or at least something. Yeah, around, right? yeah. I was nineteen, wow. and yeah, it was uh, it, it was such a learning curve because he he had been in the events game for a while since since you know retiring from cricket. He'd done a whole bunch of this. He'd seen a whole bunch of different acts. He'd seen other comedy magicians too. A lot of them I'm friends with now, and he'd be like, "Oh, why don't you do something like this?" Like. Brendan Montana does. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, I never thought of that. And then he'd go, you know that trick that you do with the thing? Yeah, just take that out. So he really gave me like real mentoring yeah. there. And after like a year or two, I had like a decent 40-minute act. Wow. Yeah, which was super useful because if you – like if you get called and, and they go, oh, I want you to do a half-hour show and maybe do some roaming magic at the beginning. If you don't have a show, you don't get the gig. Yeah, It doesn't matter. They they need a magician who can get on stage sometimes. Like yeah. that's what they need. And I have some friends who they won't do stage. And they I could throw them so much work, but they won't do it. And do what you want to do, do your thing. But it, like, like I could tell you exactly what to do and it's not that hard, you know, it – Takes a bit of balls starting out, but right, like, dude, like, do you know? I, it's not that hard if you've got the balls, though, right? And yeah, certainly did. Well, even it, though that first well, time was tough. Well, it was hard though. It was really hard. It was hard for like months because, again, there's that inconsistency there. If you have a good show and then you have a shit show, you have a good one, or you, oh, fuck, if you stuff up your finale, that's like the worst thing in the world. Don't get me started. And I have, have fought, I have like strong memories of doing that. But like if I was mentored by another magician, oh my God, like fuck, that would have made it 10 times easier, which mm. is why like these magician friends of mine who won't do it, I'm like, dude, you have no idea what you're missing out on. Right. Like, like 
I met this guy in Vegas through a close friend of mine who's also a magician from LA. And uh, the guy I met in Vegas is named Andre Jick. Andre has worked on the movies Now You See Me, mm-hmm. one and two. And I think he's the best in the world with a deck of cards. Yeah. I mean, top five, easy. And he taught me so much magic, like when I met him in such a short amount of time. I went home and I was like, I went from here to here in like one trip. Wow. Like I come back to Australia and it's like, oh my God, it's like I'd just taken steroids and, you know, been able to break the four minute mile <laughs> just from a one guy who's had 20 years experience of ha- being more obsessed with magic than me and also having different, like learned different things and then passing them on to me. It's like, I just like fast tracked. I just saved 20 years. Yeah. You know, obviously I didn't learn everything he had to know in, from his 20 years, but there were so many incredible things that he showed me that it was like, oh my God, that's like the life hack. Right. Like I just need to somehow like get taught by magician. Like it was just such an easy thing. And one thing that I found is that if I just had, all I need to have is like a couple of things to show the other magician in exchange. Right. And then he'll show me some of his best stuff. Right. And then I can learn that. And then I can boom, boom, boom. It's like, yeah, it was <laughs> from this, like that learning experience there in Vegas. And also when I learned from Joseph Rayon, shout out to Joseph. I stayed with Joseph last year in LA. And uh, it was like still mid-COVID stuff and uh, come back from America and a month later we go into lockdown for a couple months here in Sydney and I've got to do all these virtual shows. Well, Joseph had been doing virtual shows and showed me all his setup, all the tech gear, all the tricks he was doing. He even gave me tricks to take home that are perfect for that. And so that was like a lifesaver. Yeah. And I was so prepared for something I never thought I'd have to be prepared for because, you know, didn't think we'd have another lockdown. But uh, yeah, that's the hack. Like if you can find a mentor or if you can just like obsess over it. That's the other thing too. If you don't have a mentor, there's so many resources to see what are the successful steps that people are taking that is is getting them to where they're, where they are. Like right. if, if you want to be like that guy, you can watch YouTube videos and Google and and just like be like a super sleuth detective on what is this guy doing or how did this guy go from being a nobody to getting his first speaking gig, as an example. Yeah. I had it and how did he? How come he gets paid more than those guys? What is what does his website look like? Oh, okay, right. He's got all these like logos on his website of all the people he's worked with. Mm, yeah, okay, okay. Oh, he's got like proper testimonials from like celebrity speakers or it's like Mike Tyson's giving him an endorsement. It's like, oh, wow, okay. You know, that's rep. you can duplicate that. Yeah. You can replicate it. Mm. So and that's what you've been able to do. You've obviously met this guy in Vegas. You've met others as you've gone and it's yeah. not that only one of you can win. You can all win. You can all build each other up. You know, like you say, you're sharing something, you're giving them a bit, they're giving you things. Yeah. And you're all able to improve, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. It's like an abundance mindset, I think, you know? Well, yeah. Like in in what I do, there's like very – there's not many magicians in Sydney. Mm. I don't think there's many in Melbourne either because I'm 
getting gigs now in Melbourne, right, and in Queensland too. It's like, and I know some great magicians from from every state, pretty much. But yeah, there's just not that many. And if there are people that people don't know them, mm. that's the other thing too. It's like I was thinking about this the other day. I'm like. If I perform for a hundred people, I'm like, God, I hope I don't see them next week at another gig because what am I going to do? They've already seen all my best stuff. But then it's like, no, nah, that never happens. There's like f- five million people or something in Sydney or something crazy, yeah. like four or five million. Yeah. And you go, it's hard to visualize that number. But if I think about it, I'm like, I've performed for tens of thousands of people and I barely ever see the same people again. Yeah, right. You know? Has it ever happened? Is there a time oh, where yeah. someone's gone, I've seen you do this trick? Yeah, like, I mean, today there were three people that I knew because they were the ones who referred me mm. for the gig today. So, yeah, that's like oh, we were talking before the podcast and other magicians have given me shit for this. I have like <laughs> I have like an hour's worth of material on me at any given moment. Yeah. And I don't mean like, oh, I can do an hour with a deck of cards. No, no, no. I have like an hour of material, all different tricks. Like my pockets are loaded up to yeah, the brim. I felt your jacket before. It, it was heavy. Yeah, it's probably heavy. <laughs> You're like slaying workout. You're rucking with that jacket on. Yeah, I feel like I've been Dragon Ball Z <laughs> when I have the turtle shell on to be able to jump higher. That's literally me with my, my performing jacket. So like I have all these different tricks and it's not, I don't know, magicians get funny about stuff and they like to make you wrong about certain things. Some magicians, these are like some magicians online, they'll say, oh, you only need nine tricks. You only need nine tricks and be really good at those nine tricks. It's like, yeah, I get it. you got three acts with three tricks in it. Okay, I get it. But what if I get seen by someone who saw me 10 years ago and loved that trick that I did with uh, the sponge balls? What if I, and I don't have any sponge balls. Like, I'm not actually a magician. I can't just be like, boo, here they are. <laughs> Apparition, sponge balls. Like, I have to have them on me. Right. Right? It's like a crowd favorite, but that's not, I don't do that every single performance. Sure. I might throw it in here and there, or if someone requests it, I'll I'll have it there and I can do it. Yeah. If they request it and I'm like, oh, I, I can't do that trick, <laughs> you look like you're not a magician. Yeah. It ruins the illusion. You know, like in the trick, they appear out of nowhere. Oh, can't you just make them appear out of nowhere, magic guy? It totally spoils the illusion. So I like to be prepared for pretty much any scenario that, I can like if I go to a close-up gig, I I'll take my whole stage show in the car just in case the opportunity presents itself. Wow! They go, oh, can you do us a show? Like, and you know, I'll be like, oh, I'll invoice you this much extra. Yeah, sweet. Boom! I just made, I just almost doubled my fee. Right. In and I wouldn't have that opportunity. A lot of the time, it just sits in the car. Yeah. But sometimes it works out in your favor. Yeah. And uh, you got to try to squeeze the most out of every single opportunity that you get, you know, especially if you're starting out. If you're starting out, let's just say if you're starting out as a magician, if I can get someone to come along and film, mm. get someone to take photos if you can, you got to try to get a, a video testimonial from the client if you can or a written review on, on uh, Facebook or Google. Uh, you want to, yeah, every single little thing that you can, give everyone a business card, all these things, and you want to have like, a checklist of all these things because if you don't checklist it out and have like the list there, you're going to forget half the stuff you were supposed to do. Yeah. There's already so much going through your head, especially when you get nervous Yeah, when it's game time. Yeah. So like doing a checklist is super important as well. These are all really good points. And before we started recording, you mentioned it before, but you were saying 
you're in a really good spot right now. Like work, you've got a lot of work. Yeah. Obviously, we've just come off the back of two years of being locked down around the world. So in-person gigs and these sorts of things were probably next to nothing. Yeah. But I'm curious to know, like, at what point did it start to get easy? Was it, you know, very recently? Was it earlier? Because part of this question as well is like the rule of 10,000 hours. Have you heard of that? When you get to 10,000 hours, you're like a a proper pro. Mm. And I imagine you've done, if not close to 10,000 hours, 10,000 hours. Yeah. I mean, it it depends. That's obviously pretty arbitrary to say 10,000 hours, but it gives you an idea of the amount of work that's needed to be a master at something Mm. or to be really awesome at it. Like, yeah, put in heaps of hours. But like the most, va- that's the other thing too. Not every, not every hour is created equal. Sure. If I do, if I practice a trick all week in front of the mirror or even on my mom or a family member, that is nowhere near equivalent to practicing in front of a complete stranger who is willing to bust my balls and catch me out at a moment's notice, especially when there's several of them too. And, uh, and anything that all the other stuff that can crop up when you're in in the moment and you have stuff happen that you could have never anticipated, you have them thinking or saying, oh, why don't you do that? You have them thinking or saying, oh, you did it like this. And you're thinking, that's not how I fucking did it. That's stupid. That, that wouldn't even work. But they think that's how you did it. So you have to somehow prove to them Next time you perform this trick for the next table, you have to somehow prove that that's not how you're doing it, even though it's the most, oh, like, oh, he's got, he's got a camera at the back of his head, you know? Oh, how the fuck am I going to prove that I don't have a camera at the back of my head next time I perform this trick? Because someone else is going to think that. Maybe half the people I show are going to think that. So that stuff will crop up. So not every hour is created equal. And those hours where you're, out in the deep end and you're out in the wild are so much more valuable than the hours. And obviously the other hours are necessary, but I'll take, I'll take three hours in front of an audience compared to 30 hours practice alone any day of the week. Yeah. That there's just no, no comparative, no comparison there. So I've done, you know, lots of hours and I, you know, it's like think there were, there were kind of like levels or degrees of things becoming easier. You know, there was a point uh, somewhere along the line where I knew that I could walk up to a table at the restaurant and uh, get get some great reactions, you know, and I had a good way to begin. I had a good trick in the middle, had a good ending trick. And, uh, you know, I was pretty good at that point at handling people heckling or whatever. Yeah. And so there was that kind of level where you reach that like plateau, sure. which is great. You know, plateau doesn't sound great, but it's like you reach that kind of level and then it's like, okay, what's the next level? Well, then there was the level of being able to perform and get good reactions from my stage show, right? Which took a lot. And, you know, like I'd, I'd be able to get good reactions and I had good beginning, middle and end and some tricks here and there were a bit iffy, you know, they'd be good for some audiences. Other audiences wouldn't really hit because I'm doing comedy magic too. Sure. So some audiences want to see more magic. Some audiences are more into comedy or have a better sense of humor. Yeah. So like that's a lot to 
have to try to accommodate. Mm. You know, how much if I have my act and I've rehearsed my act, what if I have the audience and they don't really like the comedy side of it? Shit, I have to change it on the spot, won't I? So there's different kind of levels to to that as well. And there was a point when you know I could consistently do a good show, but I'd be fucking nervous before going on stage. Yeah. Or I'd be nervous before certain tricks because again, they're like, oh, this one, this one might not hit that, it might not hit, or it might not. You know, it's it's kind of strong, but uh, you know, it's a yeah. bit iffy. Yeah. Right. You're like you got your banger tricks, and you got your ones that are kind of like filler. So there was a point there where I, I had filler tricks and I'd be like nervous and I'd get off stage and I'd still be thinking, oh, fuck, I stuffed this and this and this and, oh, was that good? Did they really like it? Uh, so it was that point. And then with the with like, with like my show, I ended up getting into a magic cabaret venue and had like a producer, uh, even a choreographer. And so I would then perform every week there and that took me to the next level as far as my stage performances because within a couple of years, also the, the competitive element was amazing because there were several magicians that would perform in this show. Yeah. So, and Max uh, Rendell, a good friend of mine, we performed a couple of years there. He would just win over the audience like as soon as, soon as he said the first word. Mm-hmm. He was so charming. All the girls loved him great looking dude. And I was like, oh my God, how am I going to compete with that guy? So I worked my ass off to get, get a stronger applause than he would by the end of my act. Yeah, You know, at the end of my take your bow, who gets the biggest applause? That was like my thing. I'm like, I have to outdo Max because yeah. he's got these natural gifts and I just have to outwork him mm. to, to, to beat, you know, what he was blessed with. That was your game. Yeah, 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 yeah. that was my game. And also we'd get feedback from from the producer. Yeah. And so every week it was like, oh, you know, you'd be like, why'd you get a girl out? Or why'd you get the good looking girl? You know? Or why'd you get the why'd you get that person out? You go, I don't know. One, what do you mean? It's like, well, you shouldn't have got that person out because blah. Should have got the other person instead. Or, oh, you didn't even see the person waving to get on stage in the front row. You chose some other person. It's like, oh, shit. Yeah, I didn't, I would never notice that. I would never, how would I ever know that? Mm. And so going through that for, for years of the act getting tweaked and improved and also being pushed to learn new material and try to be better than that guy or better than the other magicians who ended up coming in, there was a point there where I was like, oh, I can. I got this. Like I can just walk out on that stage and own it. And my producer at the time, he's like, you just hit the vortex. He was very like new age, spiritual kind of guy. I was very much into numerology and everything. And he's like, you hit the vortex tonight. That was, (laughs) that was unbelievable. And I didn't know what he meant by that, but I got, I got the message and it was, um, it was pretty validating to, for him to say that. And, uh, also I was like, fuck, I, I thought that was pretty similar to my other performances, but obviously I was more relaxed or it just came across better and I had the audience in the palm of my hand. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And I mean, like the confidence, it always, you know, it's kind of like you, you get confident with this routine or this trick 
Then you get confident with the next one and the next one. And you're always building and you're adding to your repertoire and your skill set. Yeah. And that increases your confidence because like if I'm going to do a 30-minute show, I'll have an hour's worth of material in the case, ready to go. Same with the amount of shit that's in my jacket. Yeah. Like I just want to have stuff in case this happens or in case a trick doesn't go that great or I want to just do a different trick because I think that they are more into the, let's say they're more into the card tricks than the comedy or they're more into the mind reading. Well, I've got to have X, Y, and Z ready to go. So uh, you really, you build up bit by bit and yeah, yeah. So uh, I feel like, uh, I mean, like the last couple of years, I've had very, very little stage fright before going on stage. Yeah. And I mean, it's always kind of a little bit, a bit more nerve wracking, which is funny to say, it can be more nerve wracking for me now doing close up magic in a group than going on a stage. And the reason that is, is because you are far more in control of everything that can happen when you're on a stage than when you're doing close-up magic. If you walk up to a group and they're with their friends and they're comfortable and you're the one going into their social group and they feel like king shit, well, then they're going to have no problem trying to bust you or heckling you or this or that, right? But if you get that same person on stage in front of a hundred people they don't know, yeah. and they only know their friend group, whew, you got them in the palm of your hand. Because I mean, they can still act like a dick, or they can still be a heckler, and, or you know, try to mess you up. But they're nervous. Sure, they're, they're like they're really introverted at that point. Yeah, right. So there's just a lot less that can kind of go wrong, or that they can throw spanners into the works when you're doing a stage show. Yeah. You know, plus it's like more intimate when you're like in the group and like, you know, maybe some gorgeous girls there. And it's just like, you know, it's, it's now for me, it's easier to confront getting up on stage in front of a hundred people or, or 500 people. Love you can almost get up there and not really even look anyone in the eye because you look there and people think that you're looking at someone over there and cool. there's no one over there. <laughs> so these like little tricks that you kind of get. But it all comes from like the time, the time on it, right? And the work that you've been doing yeah. over years. Yeah. It doesn't just happen overnight. And like, I really love the point that you said before, not all, not all hours are equal. Yeah. The, the one hour or three hours practicing at home in the mirror is not the same as the three hours in the restaurant up close with people. It's, yeah. it's so important to, to realize that. Like imagine like all these hours that you've had in the chair in the, in the podcast booth. You know, yeah. compared to, I don't know. Well, you couldn't even practice a podcast. Like, no, what you got to do is like, oh, exactly. talk, talk to the mirror and ask a question. You're not going to get the yeah. answer. You're not going to be able to have, have this real interaction. So That's right. With a lot of things, you almost can't. You have to get in the arena. Yeah. You have to get in and do the thing. Mm-hmm. Make a fool of yourself in some cases. Yeah. And also, like, honestly, you feel like, the, you feel like it's the end of the world when something goes wrong in the moment. But it's like, if I look back at stuff, like, I'm going to a a magician's birthday party next Sunday. Yeah. And I know that like majority of what we're going to be cracking up about is all the shit that's gone wrong in our performances. Like yeah. I'll give you an example. I got this trick when I was in LA and it was this Sharpie with a fake Sharpie tip mm. that would stretch out 
like a big rubber band, black rubber band thing, and and you'd put on someone's shirt, and it would look like you've drawn a big fat sharpie line mm. on their shirt and ruined their shirt. Yeah. Well, I was such an idiot to have the real Sharpie in the same pocket of my jacket as the fake Sharpie. And I was like, oh, no, that one's upside down. It's fine. And I, I'm at this fancy, like, black tie ball. I go up to the guy who's, like, looks like he's all about, like, look how good I look, fresh suit, everything. And I go from, like, zoop, <laughs> down his chest. <laughs> and then what you would do is once you've gone all the way down and stretched it out, you put the you run the Sharpie back up to the top of the where you started from to for it to go back into the Sharpie. Well, I do that and I go back up and I go, oh, fuck. You've drawn two lines. <laughs> I've fucking got this massive <laughs> Sharpie line and this fresh, crisp, like, white shirt. Did you show some shit? Oh, God. And, like, I, my heart just stops. I go, you're fucking kidding. And <laughs> I was not – I'm laughing now, but I was not laughing then. Yeah. They – they're like, oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> they're like, oh, when are you going to make it go back? And I go, I'm so sorry. I know this seems like part of the act and it was supposed to be a gag where it disappears, but I I, I used the wrong pen. I, I feel like an idiot. Can I please pay for another shirt? And they're like, ah, this is so funny. Oh, you're hilarious. Oh my God. He's really, he's really committing to this bit that the shirt is ruined. <laughs> oh, funny magician. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm serious. I feel like an absolute idiot. I will buy you a brand new shirt. I'll pay for the cleaning, whatever it is. I've just stuffed up. That is a proper stain on your shirt, mate. Yeah. Oh, it's fine. And then, and then, and they're going, ha it's fine. And then they go, the guy's going, no, nah, it's, it's okay. Relax, relax. Big right down, right down there on his on his chest. And after every trick I do after that point, because I'm like, why don't they want me to pay for the dry cleaning? And after every trick I do, they're like, so when are you gonna fix the shirt? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how many times I have to tell you this. I stuffed up. This is how the thing works. I grabbed the wrong pen. Uh, please. I, it ain't fucking coming Please off. just believe me that I <laughs> fucked up. Like, please believe me that I'm an idiot because yeah. I'm the biggest idiot in the world right now and this is making it 10 times worse. So anyway, I literally, I like say goodbye to them. I finished my whole act and then they're like, he's looking a bit uncomfortable. He's getting more uncomfortable as the routine goes on because he's thinking, what the fuck is going on? He's starting to click like, did he really fuck my shirt up? He fucked it up. Even though you told him. I told him like five times. I walk away. I have dinner in the back room and I come out and I'm thinking, fuck, this was so bad. I I can't believe that guy didn't even want me to pay for a shirt. He walks right up to me. He goes, so you seriously telling me I have to look around like I have to walk around like a fucking idiot all night, like looking like a dick. Like what? You really fucked my shirt up. I'm like, as I said, I am so sorry. I completely stuffed up. I feel like an absolute idiot. I, as, as I said, it's not part of the show, wasn't part of the gag. I know it seems like it, ha, 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 but I feel like a real stupid idiot right now and uh, please can let pay for the shirt or dry cleaning, please. And I said, how much was the shirt? He's like, just how much was the shirt? I'll transfer the money right now. He's like, yeah, well, it was 100 bucks. And I'm thinking, it's not a fucking 100 bucks. You're full of shit. Yeah. But I'm like, I'll pay 100 bucks to get this problem to go away. <laughs> so I pull my phone out. I go, what do you bank to? He does, da, da, da. He's like, oh, it's five, six, da, da, da. And I send him 100 bucks. And he's like, all right. And he walks off. 
And I'm like, oh my God. I go up to my client and I go, oh, I, I gotta be careful what I say on this. But uh, <laughs> no, I, actually, I can't say that on the podcast. <laughs> but anyway, he also happened to be best friends with the president of the of the like company. Right. So, <laughs> and that guy, the president of the company, like obviously they've hired me, but they he was like hard to get the attention of. Yeah. You know, he's got other people talking to him. He's at a formal dinner, blah, blah, blah. And uh, boy, and he didn't really pay much attention to the performance where I fucked up. He wasn't really there. He was sitting at the table. These guys were standing nearby. Well, boy, when I walked back over near that table, I had his attention. Him and the wives were like, Cracking so many jokes, they were like, "Come, come, show us another trick!" Or, "Don't touch my shirt!" Or, "Don't grab a sharpie out!" And I'm just like, "Oh my god, this is so embarrassing!" But like, looking back on it, it was so fucking funny, right? And it's like, cost me a hundred bucks for a hilarious story and a memory that I'll never forget. Amazing, because like, you know, things are things are pretty expected now. Like, obviously. Re the levels of reactions that I'll get are the main difference in when I do a gig, mm. like how excited or how loud are people or how combative are the audience. Those are like, like the main variables now because yeah. my routine is dialed in. It doesn't change too much. Sure. So when something like that happens, like another thing, I did a stage show and I have this trick where I say, oh, you know, to read your mind, I have to, I, I got these special abilities when I was concussed as a child. So for this to work, you need to, you need to hit me. And they've got a book. It's a book trick. And I go, no, not with the book. And I got all these different gags. And anyway, before I can explain anything, I've said, you've got to hit me to this girl that I brought up on stage. She's like 16, right? Teenage girl. And I get her up on stage. She goes, you got to hit me. She fucking goes, and fucking punches me like right across the side of the face in front of my mum was in the audience too and she was ready to get up and kill the girl and in front of like a room full of people at like a proper dinner show cabaret night and I'm thinking what the fuck was she that really fucking hit she fucking cracked me and then there was this other girl I got up who's this Russian girl like almost a head taller than me and she like a boof, she punched me. I end up, you know, like, you know, you see boxers bleeding and you're like, how do they bleed? Yeah. Well, this girl fucking cut my face from cut the punch. I'm like, what the fuck you was that? You'll be careful you fucking telling. Yeah. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta watch my back. <laughs> so it's like stories like that. And yeah, man, there's like 101 different, different times that things have stuffed up or gone wrong. And it's like literally, oh, oh my God. My, and I won't say who the magician was, but I, uh, there's this other magician performing one night and uh, there's this old gag where the audience is going to, no they're notorious for taking a long time to get out of their seat and come up on stage because they don't really want to come up on stage. They don't know what you're going to do. You're going to embarrass them. Yeah, make them look a fool. Yeah, and, you know, I don't really do that, but magicians in the past have done that a lot apparently and people are very reluctant to get up on stage. Sure. So this magician asks this guy to come up on stage. This guy's taken ages. So the old gag is you say, uh, I'll just move the legs and the body should follow, right? And then there's the other one where you go, take your time and get paid by the hour or whatever else. There's other, there's other lines that, that'll come to you in the moment you, that'll, that are, you know, they'll get a laugh every time. Yeah. Anyway, they're not getting a laugh for this magician and he's waiting and waiting and, you know, the magician, the, guy, the volunteer finally comes up on stage and he's got like a peg leg 
right? Or he's in crutches or something like that. He had, I, I was backstage, but it was like the dude like basically was crippled and couldn't walk. And he's making jokes as he's, he's slowly yeah, coming. As, oh. Because the stage lights are so bright, you can't see anything in the audience except for like faint heads. Sure. Right? When you have he proper gets, stage lighting, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. he's just seeing this guy's taking ages and he gets up on stage and like the whole audience hates him. <laughs> hates him. And, uh, yeah, I've had scenarios like that too where you crack a joke and then you realise, oh, no, I've just implied that that person's fat even though that's not the joke or, oh, no, oh, that's the worst joke I could have made because I don't know, blah. There's one joke that I make and this this hits every time. It's like a great joke. When I'm leaving a group, when I'm doing close-up magic, I'll often say as I give out my business card, yeah, I do all kinds of events, weddings, funerals, whatever the occasion. And I just like, like it's a throwaway. Like I just go right past it and they go, funerals, ah, oh, they, they have a laugh about it. <laughs> One time I was performing at a restaurant in Cronulla and I said this to the table, just trying to get a final laugh because they were like the worst reacting group. They hated, they, it was like they hated me and they were pretty depressed. And I make that joke and they go, we just came from a funeral today. Our best friend just died. And I'm like, oh, let me go home. Oh, my God. Oh, no. Oh, that explains why they hated explains me. It a lot. Now they hate me even more. <laughs> and I didn't even say sorry. I was like, oh, I just got out of there. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I mean, all of that, though, like you were saying, and I guess the positive spin is like you learn from those fuck-ups, right? Yeah. All of the things that do go wrong. Yeah. You can go to a party next week and that'll be the stories. Yeah. That'll be the fun. Yeah. And the fuck ups create, like, they go into what is going to be your checklist and your policy. Like, I never do this or I always do this. Mm. If you don't have always and nevers, like rules that you always do, like, I, I don't care if, like, the gig is like five minutes down the road, I'll, I'll get ready, like, and I'll always give myself an hour and a bit to get prepared, even if it's going to take me like 20 minutes. And I'll always leave like, you know, half an hour before like the absolute latest that I could arrive there totally. kind of thing. So it's, uh, it's like, because I've been caught out, that time will just disappear like that. And if you don't have it set in stone that oh, I have to do this, just like if I was late to work, my boss would fire me. Yeah. I got to be my own boss yeah. and I have to operate like that. Or else you get into those scenarios where you go, oh, fuck, why'd I do that? What'd I do that for? Yeah. You know? But you would have learned from those things as well. And I think something that underpins a lot of what we've chatted about today, from my point of view, is mm. the discipline aspects. Like you're putting in so much work and, and doing things where it might be very easy to, like you said there, just leave. You know, you look up on on maps, oh, it's going to take me an hour to get to this gig. I'll leave an hour before I need to get there. But no, mm. by the sounds of it, you're leaving like an hour and a half before because yeah. you're giving yourself that buffer time if something goes wrong, traffic, mm. whatever. Yeah. You want to be prepared. Where do you think that, that discipline has come from for you? I think it's come, well, I have like a super successful, hardworking family. Like my dad played football for Australia, rugby league football. Yeah. My brother worked his ass off and still does uh, as a fashion designer, you know, from starting absolutely from scratch. And, you know, he's over in LA designing for celebrities. I've got a cousin now who's like a professional boxer and 
I don't know, like I was, I was around people who like worked really hard, but also I just kind of had like a higher level of expectation from myself. Yep. And I hate like real perfectionist. Like I hate when something stuffs up and I like find it very embarrassing. Even if I stuff up something and no one noticed, it's just like, oh, I fucked that up. Oh, I, I myself know that I, I was lucky to, to have that not blow up in my face. Yeah, You know, that would sit with me for, and it would eat away at me. So it's like, okay, my checklist is, five pages long for a stage show, but it's become that that way because all the things and all the scenarios I've run into where it's not been perfect, I've tried to account for that and make sure that never happens. Yeah. Like, oh, you get, I'll give you an example, right? Mm. Like, uh, I don't know, like you get there and the microphone is shit. Oh, okay. Buy your own microphone. Okay. Boom. And then you have to have a checklist for that. Like, do I have batteries? Do I have the, the microphone holder? Oh, okay. What if uh, I get there and let's say it's 20 people and I start performing and everyone stops and watches and then I have a 15-minute act. I'm supposed to do four times in four small groups, but now everyone's watched me for 15 minutes and how do I fill up the last 45 minutes of the hour? Yeah. Right. So, well, with a small group, go in planning to do it as a show and then do some close-up magic afterwards. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just come from getting out on the field a lot and letting letting things go wrong or obviously you try to make sure they don't go wrong, but things are going to happen. And then you go, okay, I don't want that to happen again. How do I make sure it doesn't happen? Yeah. Yeah. The family aspect's an interesting one. I'm a big believer of like the environment that you are in, whether mm. it's an online environment, you know, the things you're consuming online, but physically the people that are around you. Yeah. I, I've met your brother before when I was in LA many years ago. Mm. So obviously he's not in close proximity, but I'm sure he's someone you talk to quite regularly being family. Yeah. You know, yeah, your dad as well, you mentioned there casually playing, what was it, you know, for Australia and he's played, I think, over 200 league games. Yeah. 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 So good, good stock in that sense, but you've still got to do the work. But that environment of people performing it at high levels, I think is something that's like critical. To, yeah. Even if it's not family, you can, you can do things to level up and, and that will help you, right? Yeah. Like in, environment is everything. Like, unfortunately, I didn't get to see many performing magicians until, uh, you know, like around 2009, 2010 even. I'd barely ever seen any magicians in real life. Yeah. So I'm I'm trying to be this thing, you know, a performing magician who's good. Like that's the goal. I want to be a great magician in the real world for real world audiences. And it's like I've barely ever actually seen that in the flesh. And when you see it in the flesh, you're going to notice so many different things or there'll be – you see a video of a performance or you see a video of a trick and it's like, you see this much, you see three minutes. You don't see, how did he go up and say hello? What trick did he do before that to warm up the audience before he does his show piece of the street magic performance to try to get a great reaction? Uh, what does he do afterwards? There's all these things you don't even see and you kind of have to try to figure out on your own. 
Yeah, so environment is super, super crucial and uh, it's it's important to be around people who push you, who are pushing themselves so that you feel like you have to try to keep up. And it's also super important to be around people who either are better than you or are better than you in some area. Like, for example... I would love to be in a show with more, uh, with like another, with a mentalist, like mm-hmm. a mind reading magician, because I've been around a lot of magicians and I've seen a lot and I know a lot from that world. So I would love to see like a real good mentalist and see how does he do uh, his, say, a 30 minute show? Yeah. How does he get the audience on his side when he can't do a visual trick? Yeah. What's his first trick? Why does he do that trick first? Why does he do that? Mm, what's his finale? Or uh, what What tricks does he do in the middle? Like 30 minutes of mind reading only? How the fuck does he get through that? How does he have 30 minutes worth? I would love to be around that because I haven't really seen a lot of that. You know, I'd also love to see them do uh, close-up magic because they do totally different stuff to magicians. We're, we're similar in a way, but I would love to have that in my environment. Yeah. And I mean, like any way that you can, you got to just get yourself around people who are doing it and winning at it and who have like a proven track record of results. That's a problem with online. Like people can say something and you assume that kind of like the hours analogy, you assume that every comment or every opinion is worth the same, Mm. right? Like I did a gig and this guy who uh, is actually a professional gambler, full-time, like a rain man when it comes to horse racing. He was at a gig and he became my client and he said, why do you have that eyebrow ring in? I go, I don't know, I like it. It's like, I'd lose it. Lose the eyebrow ring, you don't need it. I fucking took that thing out that night and never wore it again because it's like that guy's one of the richest guys in Australia and if he thinks that, other people are going to think that. So I value his opinion over, I don't know, a random Facebook comment, perhaps. Yeah, or like my grandma doesn't think that people should have eyebrow rings. Right. You know? For just a random reason. Yeah. Or a more traditional reason, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so like any way that you can get yourself around people who are like actually doing it and have like a proven track record of the results and don't just act like they're an expert or talk like they know what they're, they're doing mm. or they know what they're talking about. Because I'll see magicians online leaving comments about stuff and, oh, man, it's like some of the advice is terrible or it can really just confuse people. Yeah. And uh, it's also like if I'm seeing lots of different magicians, that's great. I get to see lots of different tricks and different approaches to the things that we come up across as performers, like how do we win over the audience, how do we do this or that. But if you take advice from so many different people and there's conflicting opinions, you can get super confused. Yeah. You know, so like Jack Black, the magician, not the actor, yeah. is a guy who I'll listen to. And obviously when you listen to someone, you got to kind of think for yourself and think, oh, is that true for me? And does that work in with what I've seen to be true or not? But uh, he'll give me advice and I'll just like, I'll, I'll know that, that advice has come from him doing it and being successful with it because I've seen him, you know, just 
perform at such a high level. He's amazing. Yeah. You know, he's one of the best to do it. Early after I had finished working with, with Len Pasco and I, I started still doing stage shows and stuff, I, I took Jack out for lunch and I bought him lunch and like 20 coffees. <laughs> he went nuts on the coffees. And I said to him, oh, how do I structure my act? And he goes, well, you want to make sure that you do a volunteer trick and then a trick where it's just you on stage and then another volunteer trick and then a trick where it's just you on stage and you do that all the way through to the end of the show. And I was like, that is brilliant because there's always dead time as the person leaves the stage after being a volunteer and there's dead time as the next volunteer comes up on stage. Yeah. So if you can then go straight into another trick where it's just you on stage and then get another volunteer up, it just works so much better. Right. Now, obviously, you know, you can break the rules like an artist and I can do two tricks in a row where I'm getting a volunteer, they leave the stage, next trick, get another volunteer. You can do that and there's more, there's ways that you can make it entertaining. But that there was so valuable for me because I realized, oh man, I need to have more solo tricks. Right. I need to have more tricks in my repertoire where it's just me on stage because if I just do all these volunteer tricks, yeah, the show looks cluttered. So it gave me a real good perspective on what I needed to do. And I would never have thought of that. Mm. I would just never would have thought of that. Yeah. And, you know, he just says, like, oh, yeah, blah. And you go, that is absolute gold. Yeah. Like, that is so usable. I love it, dude. I love yeah. it. I, I appreciate it. All of what we've chatted about, even like essentially that's why I started the podcast was to learn from people, learn how they yeah, got to where they are, the mm. process in which they do it. And I mean, you rocked up today and you've got these cameras and the light and, you know, g'day. <laughs> it was something that I said, you know, I hadn't even really looked at doing and will potentially start doing after episode 100 as like the arbitrary milestone. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's that idea of yeah, constantly improving and looking to push the bar. Yeah, that I I really I really appreciate and respect. Yeah, I saw this great quote the other day, and it was, "Everyone will teach you something. Mm. You will learn something from everyone, and sometimes you'll learn something the opposite to what they think. You know, like someone will be cynical or critical, and then you'll learn. Oh, you know, I should avoid people like that. You still learn something." Course. Yeah, but uh, I really like that where even if you see a bad magician or someone who's bad in your field, success leaves clues, but so does failure. Mm. So if you see something going poorly, you go, oh, it's probably because he did this or oh, he didn't have any music. So all those awkward silences felt like an eternity. So you, you get to piece all the pieces of the puzzles together and see how important are those things because you've got to know what's true and what's also how important is each rule in the repertoire yeah. or in the in the game yeah for sure yeah i think yeah you can learn something for everyone everyone's got a story to tell is something i like to say because yeah it's it's so true if you get people talking you you can i've enjoyed your story yeah. today bro i've enjoyed being on here yeah yeah i've got a few is... more questions before we go okay great it's all right but yeah loved love the conversation yeah as, Me too. as I've mentioned, yeah, why I want to start this podcast was because I listened to Joe Rogan's, Tim Ferriss's, you might have listened to, to yeah. some of them before. Mm -hmm. uh, they 
they always would interview, you know, the top performers in the world, people that seemingly are impossible to get to, mm. but they're, yeah, the athletes, the business people, whatever they might be, celebrities. Yeah. And the, the typical cliche podcast question they would finish with is what advice would you give to your maybe younger self? Yeah. Right. So your 20 year old self, if this person's, you know, in their fifties or whatever. So I would love to know from you, Jackson, you're 29. Yeah. My age, we're the same age, essentially. Mm -hmm. I would love to do both. What advice would you give to that a 13 year old boy? Yeah. Who's just starting out again, if you could, and also let's flip it and maybe go your 65 year old self. I would tell him to, well, there's a couple of things. I would tell him to perform any opportunity that he can, which in my, in the later part of my teenage years, I did do, but I feel like I should have done that earlier. And there were other opportunities to perform where I, I wussed out and I didn't do it. I would also tell him to invest in crypto. <laughs> I would tell him to uh, not get hooked on social media and to uh, use social media, not have it like have social media use him. And I would say to like, these are very specific to my profession. So I hope people get something out of this, but I would say, read more magic books and learn more tricks that aren't just card tricks. And also, yeah, try to convince your parents to go to Vegas <laughs> as soon as possible so you can see all the magicians over there. Love it, dude. Yeah, yeah, that would probably be the advice. And also my advice would have been don't go to university, which I did for a year and it wasn't for me. And uh, also I should have just finished school in year 10 for me. Yeah, right. Because I knew that it was going to be my career, but I thought – Oh, you know, I'll just stick around maybe. Oh yeah, it's good for socializing. Yeah. But uh yeah. Yeah. Rad dude. The other the other part of the question, yeah, what message if you could send your sixty five year old self if you could, you know, listen back to this in what would that be? Thirty seven years. Yeah. Thirty six years. Hmm. Yeah, I mean I would I would hope that I'd look back on, you know, the time like now where I feel like things are going great. And that there'd be so many more great things and like next levels that I've pushed towards achieving because like, I mean, I can enjoy where, where things are at now and it's fantastic, but it's so much more exciting when things are, you know, you're, you're trying to be more than you already are and you're not even sure if you can make it. So I hope that I, I stick to that and that I've done me, 65-year-old man, proud and, yeah, taking more risks and uh, taking life by the horns and just, yeah, going all in. Love it, brother. Well said. Thank you. Thank you. Where can people get in touch if they want to reach out to you, book you for a gig, have you interrupt them when they're on their entree, whatever it might be? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can check out my website, jacksonaces.com or info at jacksonaces.com is the email. Or just check me out on socials. It's Jackson Aces Magic on Instagram. It's Jackson Aces on TikTok and most of the other platforms. Uh, yeah, check out my magic if you like it. There's a lot of cards. There's, uh, yeah, I'm just so passionate about cards. I don't know exactly why. I mean, we've kind of covered some reasons. But uh, yeah, there's just something about the feel of a deck of cards, which maybe goes back to all those hours you know, in in hospital with mum playing cards. 
and that being our escape. Mm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, if I can say one more thing to anyone out there, it's uh, you can make your escape your your living and your life and you can live a life by design. And I feel like I've managed to do that quite well so far. And it's, yeah, it's really what I what I believe and what I want to keep uh, expanding on. Yeah, but you got to be willing to put in the hours, but also it's so much more worth it than, you know, just living a run-of-the-mill life if that's not for you. Yeah. Love it, brother. Leave it there. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ren. Appreciate it. Cheers, bro. And there it is, episode 95 of The Hope Initiative with Jackson Jarvis. Thank you again, mate, for the conversation if you decided to listen all the way back to this. But no, I do truly appreciate your time. Thank you so much for the wisdom and uh, all that you've shared. And everyone listening, I appreciate you as well. Two hours of a podcast. If you've enjoyed it, you've obviously listened all the way through. I would love for you to share with a family member, friend, someone who you think will get some value out of this. Like and subscribe, all of those things. And as always, until next time, keep creating your life and all the very best.